show tonight and we'll get to this in just a moment but we're going to have pastor paul cantrell who's sitting here right with me across in the studio we're going to dig into some good stuff tonight and we're going to continue that whole discussion of the root and the family which is uh going to be fantastic say before we go get going i'm going to call out a couple of our sponsors or at least one of them and that's uh you know in these crazy times we live you've got to keep those skills up and it's just reality as things start to fall apart and you start to see the economics collapse, and you start to see people get more desperate. Ultimately, we've got to be able to prepare to defend our homes and our families. And those are perishable skills. So the best thing to do is to have a method that you can train in the comfort of your home. 
And to do that, the best device out there is iTarget Pro. That's the letter iTarget Pro. iTarget Pro is a digital-based system that uses a laser bullet and dry fire techniques for your firearms. It allows you to improve your sight alignment, your trigger, trigger pull, and many more things. Plus, it gives you an accurate reading on where your scoring is on your target. And you can even, you can even team up with people across the web to, to share your scores. And you can train your family in the comfort of your home. So head on over to I, letter I, targetpro.com. That's itargetpro.com. Use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, and get 10% off plus free shipping. This is the perfect time to order this for Christmas for somebody. It's a great gift. So again, itargetpro.com. Use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, and then you get free shipping and 10% off. Fantastic. Great Christmas gift. All right, Patriots. So let me introduce to you a my friend, my brother, seriously, and probably one of the coolest pastors hanging out there these days because he's also traveling, been traveling around the country with how many, Paul? Nine kids. I have 10, but nine with us. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's that's like, all. That's all. <laughs> so it's great to have you up here, by the way. Oh, man, it's been so awesome. You know, we traveled all over the country, been a lot of places, but... You come back to Oregon, and you see the beauty here and how green it is and how fresh the air is, and then you get to come up to this beautiful space you got. Hold on, hold on a second. Yeah. Say, his, you say, say your mic isn't on, so let me see what's going on. All right, I'm just going to try this again. We're actually, just a second here, I'm going to do this real quick. Um, we're going to introduce you, and we're going to start all over with this. Now I have to do all sorts of editing, <laughs> I swear. Thank you, Roadcaster Pain in the Behind. If you wanted me to come over here and give you a hug, you could have just asked. If you wanted me to come over and get this close and give you a hug, Uncle Scott, you could have just asked. We didn't have to do all these shenanigans, man. You could have really just asked me. It would have been fine. Yeah, someone says I could hear him now. You can hear him now because he's like sitting on my lap almost. That's why. Okay. All right. So. All right, Patriots, let me introduce you to Pastor Paul Cantrell. Hi, you guys. How you doing? I'm glad that uh, Uncle Scott can just roll with the punches here. And, uh, man, I was just talking about uh, been traveling all over the world, and not the world, but the country. feels like the world when you're toting nine children in a fifth wheel. We call it our Instapot. But... Um, you know, we've been all over the country, and there's something about, you know, Oregon. It's so green here. It's fresh. The air, just nothing. feels like a deep breath here, and then you come, get to come up to where Scott hangs out, and, man, it is a piece of heaven. And uh, now I realize why I don't want the let the heathens have it, you know? It's been beautiful. Well, I mean, it's, I'm going to share a little bit of news, and then you can jump on it. Okay. So... Because people um, have been asking, and I saw it in chat, and people have been saying, well, how long are they going to be on the road, and where are they going to be? And I'm super excited about this. Are you excited? Yes, I'm excited. I'm excited. All right, so <laughs> we did a lot of praying, and there's been a lot of praying for the Cantrells. And, of course, you know that we have this 80 acres up here, and this is the – it's being built out to become the Bars Nation headquarters for training the saints for the work in the ministry. And we have our first core group here now, which is the Cantrells. They're going to come up here 
after they get back from Arizona, and they're going to be down there with me, by the way, on next week's surgery too. And then they're going to come back up here and they're going to be part of this property. And they're going to be working here and they're going to be, the kids are going to be learning all sorts of great ranch skills. And they're going to be here as well, which this is the part that gets me so excited. You're going to be here for the birth of your new child. Yes. Yes. And um, what a blessing, man. You know, when we left Portland, this was the second time. The first time is when we went uh, around the country. And uh, I laid my uh, business down first time. And then when I came back this time, um, you know, you go go through all the um, mental calisthenics, uh, yes, you say, Lord, well, what about this? We can, maybe I could sell it. Maybe I could go back to work. And he kept saying no. And I'm looking at my family and my pregnant wife. And I'm saying, but Lord, uh, you know, I'm going to have a baby. Like he doesn't know these strange conversations we have with God, right? But he was very clear that, no, that I don't want you to go back. I want you just to be obedient. And uh, there was this... Uh, moment on the way to get the final stuff to leave and we were sure we we're going to leave and um, I said again God I trust you and uh, I laid it all down again and uh, I had no idea I knew we were coming up here and then I knew we were going to Arizona and after that um, kind of like uh, the last year um, I just was leaving it to the Lord and so it's been a crazy feels like another time warp, like we've been here for longer, but what, it's been three days, three days. So all this stuff has happened in three days, and uh, in three days, uh, you know, there's a sticker um, that I saw and that I put on my cajon, and it says, uh, Jesus is worth everything you're scared of losing. And I say that to say, when I left, I said, okay, God, I trust you. I trust that when I say yes and I go back on the road with my family that you're going to take care of things. And I trust you that I will have a place for my wife to birth this child that I know is marking something. And I trust you with it all. And so uh, it doesn't always work this fast, but and then I'm up here three days and then God is... Um, put it on your heart, which is amazing. I don't even have the words um, that you uh, offered us to come here and have the baby here and be a part of this and, and really is all the things that me and Christine have talked about. She said, prepare these this family, these kids for war. And so one thing I know, he comes through, but the second thing is it never works out the way you think. So that's a quick little testimony of my three days. It's, it's really awesome. I, mean, I just want to be real clear here because um, I didn't know about your prayers at all. You, you kept that pretty close hold and uh, didn't even know how you receive that request, that offer. But I just know it was on the heart and God just says, they need to stay here. And, and I'm going to tell you something. When you see, these are, this is an amazing family. And I, I'm truly, when I say this, it's truly blessed. And I, and I want um, you to tell this testimony, but I'm going to tell a little bit of it. Um, I met Paul a little over a year ago, about a year and a half ago. And I'm, I'm going to be really honest. Um, the Scott of then was kind of edgy. 
and I probably have some other things to say, but probably not appropriate for this channel. <laughs> and, and the thing is that Paul saw something in my heart that was greater than me. And I felt a connection with him right away. And so it's just amazing how God works. And after that visit, Paul calls me up and he says, I guess your uncle. I said, well, okay, cool. I mean, it didn't mean a lot to me at the moment, except that he explained, it's like, my kids have never done this. And even with some of my closest friends, but they just came in and they said, it's Uncle Scott. And that means a lot when you start putting that in context of a family like this and the children that are so anointed, and they really are, uh, speaking in prophetic and hearing God's voice isn't an exception or an exceptional thing here. It's literally like in the course of conversation. It'll be like, oh yeah, we were upstairs playing and uh, we got some downloads from God and here's where it is. And you sit and you're like, that wasn't a download. That was like some prophetic word for the future. I mean, it's just that, like that magnitude of stuff that goes on in the Cantrell family as a matter of course of daily normal. And you really have to appreciate that. So I'm going to let Paul just pick up here. Yeah. It, you know, when God's in the middle of things and you're obedient, he can do things that not only you wouldn't think be possible, but you know it's God because it's blessing everybody that's in the proximity. And, uh, yeah, the Uncle Scott thing, it was a little weird. It was, uh, Isaiah, I think, even said it first, which I think he was the funny one when he's like, did he got anything? No, no, I don't. I don't have anything for Scott. You remember that? No, oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess, uh, which, which one was that? I, Isaiah. Isaiah. He goes, uh, so he goes, I'd like to my boys to prophesy over you. And I said, okay, cool. So I'm sitting in the, they have a beautiful, it's, for, for this size of family, it's a, like, I think it's the biggest thing you can get, but it's a beautiful uh, fifth wheeler they have. And I'm sitting in the, in the fifth wheeler with them in their home, and, I, and I'm sitting on the couch. And Paul goes, okay, boys, you want to, I'd like him to prophesy over you. Would you most like to prophesy? And as Isaiah literally looks at me, and he's like, no. And he just walks away. <laughs> and, and the reason I always bring this story up is if you've met people who like to proclaim to be in the prophetic, it is common for them to want to tell you that I'm in the prophetic and then feel compelled to have to tell you something. These yeah. children walk in the prophetic and it's like, oh, no, I don't want to give you anything today. I got nothing. <laughs> and you're like, not only is it humble, it's it's like that's the heart of God, right? Yeah, because I think especially with children, we can get in the trap of behavior modification and performance space. And... It, the problem is, is in the church that is, fortunately, I, I would know I grew up in the Baptist church as a PK, so I'm fully aware and been a, a recipient of that. In other words, um, kids, you know, were brought up in the church that maybe someday when, you know, you've went through your baptismal, which, by the way, I was just so glad my first time I got baptized, I was glad it was over because... For, the, for a solid three weeks, I had to use my after-school extracurricular time to sit in a class where they told me how filthy of a sinner I was and that, you know, someday it'll all end and you'll get, you know, you'll get lucky when you die because you get to go to heaven, basically. <laughs> I was, like, sitting through this for three weeks, and when the time came for baptism, everybody's like, you look so happy. I was like, yeah, I don't have to go back on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little where I came from. So, you know, I I want to say 
just right out the gate, when I know that Scott talks about us a little bit in the kids, and I know if you guys saw us, by the way, I just loved um, just your family that you've built, Scott, and the people that we met are just salt-of-the-earth people, and I love all you guys out there. But I, what I want to say is um, this didn't happen overnight, and uh, I just really feel like even as we share with family tonight and what we got going on is uh, me and Scott have been uh, understanding a little of this since Bard's Fest, how God can um, not, he does not sit in these confines of time and space. And, and if you, wherever you are and wherever you're at in your family, um, he can do amazing things with a surrendered life. And that means you first. Everybody always asks us about, oh, what, what do we need to do? And how can I get my kids to do A, C, A B, and C? And I said, it's not about do, getting them to do A, B, and C. It's about them knowing that they are loved by you and the one that made them. It all comes out of the overflow of the heart, right? And the best thing you can do out there for your kids is for you to know that you are a son and daughter. Because every time... I ask all the time. It's not, and I'm sure a lot of the parents out there know, it's nothing like kids to bring all your faults and your imperfections to the surface, right? And when I mess up and when I make mistakes um, and this parenting thing and I go to God with, Lord, help me. I want to be a better father. He always answers me the same. First, you got to know your son. First, you got to know your son. And I say that to say, start where you're at. Give, surrender it to God with your kids and bring them in. Bring them in to what you're doing. Bring them in, just if nothing else, just turn some worship music on, whatever you like, and just pray and have them repeat after you. Uh, like we do, we say, Holy Spirit, and they repeat us, what do you want to say to us today? How do you love us? And how can we better love each other? And uh, he does the rest. Yeah, it's really interesting when you you have people will lecture on uh, things. I think you know me well enough on this, on our group here that I'm really big on if you're going to talk it, you got to walk it. And I don't buy into the idea of preaching without substance behind it. It's faith and works model, right? You've got to have works behind your faith. And that gets under people's skin too. A lot of things are like, well, no, 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 you don't have to do the work that way, and it, because it suggests that if you do specific works, you're going to get better favor with God. It's like that has nothing to do with it. You're you have to be implementing in the world what you say to make it part of the living body of Christ that you walk. So here, here's why I bring this up, and I'm going to have Paul speak to it. When you witness the parenting of Christine and Paul, and you watch how they deal with like today is a good day. I mean, we had I mean a good day for this because. Kids have been settling in, having a great time. Tomorrow there's going to be some travel. This is kind of a normal day, but there's always some tiredness going on, a little bit of crankiness going on. There's a little, they have more space to run around, so there's more space to take territory over. <laughs> and so there's been a lot of the normal dynamic of children. That's all it is. And I, I was interested to watch how this would be handled. And every single incident, whether it was a little scuffle between two, whether it was, you know, somebody make, making a smart comment, every single incident was a process of watching scripture come to life and how to 
how to parent through the word of God. So I'm going to let you talk to that because it was beautiful. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to the heart issue. We always go um, back to the heart. So when you grow up in a behavior modification or performance-based system growing up, um, the, not only does the heart get never dealt with, but you start to develop patterns that haunt you for the rest of your life. It, it's true. You know, you, you change your behavior so that somebody's not angry, right? And so what do you do? You start hiding things because you're trying to make somebody not angry. You start avoiding things because you're trying to not have somebody angry, right? And what I realized in parenting and what God showed me because I was starting to know I was a son is my job as a steward is to help my children navigate freedom in my home. That to show them that their choices are powerful, that they are powerful, and the choices they make dramatically impact their environment and their future. And I think um, we've grown up, at least I was, and I know a lot of people have, and in the point where just as long as the behavior is fine, then everything's good. And so through that, um, when we deal with things, and it was a process. Again, I want to tell everybody this is, is it was a process, and it's hard, and it takes time. And I'm sure you've seen that, Scott, that every, it's not a quick fix. It, it, it isn't just, and that's the, that's the hard thing. When, when it's just anger, then, it, you, you know, you, you get instant results, and they stop what they're doing, but the heart never gets dealt with. So if the heart never gets dealt with, then all it is is behavior modification, and you're not actually installing things that are going to last. You're not actually creating a healthy, powerful believer of Jesus, right? What's going to happen, and it's the same thing we see in church, is it's behavior modification. You're not engaging into your environment. And so First, you got to know your son. Second thing that I realized as far as parenting goes, there's two places that you parent from in everything that you do, and it's either fear or love. And I realized in my early years of parenting, I was parenting out of fear, right? Or everything, everything, actually every choice that we make can at its root come down to fear or love, Right? A lot of things I did, I was afraid out of, I didn't want them to end up doing what I did. I, guilt, like I didn't feel worthy enough to be their dad. So I would make decisions and acts that I thought were love that they could sniff out immediately because kids can. And it was actually coming out of a place of fear. And so when you have that perspective, when you deal and have that perspective, like what is the end goal? The end goal is I want to see let them see and them learn from it. And the only way to learn from it is for them to see that their choice matters. First, they have a voice. And second, that it dramatically affects their environment. Because if we don't do that, help them navigate freedom in the home, what happens when they leave the home? And we've all seen the stories, right? Especially PK since I was one. Um, I went off the deep end. What happens is if you don't help them navigate freedom in your home, right? And it's all about 
not making dad mad what when we've seen it before what happens when they leave the house they go crazy right and they got to learn everything the hard way except for this time it isn't a timeout in in the room it's a jail sentence right this time it's not oh wait um i got you know some privilege and some of my privileges taken away because i wasn't carrying the responsibility correctly now outside it's divorce it's all these things because they never uh, were in a place in their home with parents to help them show them how to navigate freedom that's the truth and you what we witness it i think that's what's so, so powerful I, I have witnessed it and you're what i find interesting paul is how natural you are in this and maybe that's because you're on like what is it number 12 coming in or something? <laughs> that does help yeah, so I mean, there's a little bit of practice. I always say to my first daughter, "I'm sorry, baby, you were the test. You were the <laughs> test guinea pig. You're the test run. I'm sorry." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, sorry. You 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 were the one that helped build the mold. <laughs> yeah. All the all the mistakes were put on you. We'll figure it out later. Um, but it is pretty natural, and it is pretty amazing to because you've gone completely against the grain. I've never seen parenting like this, and and I and I mean this, and, and unless you continue to talk on it, but I just want to share a story that you shared with me, so you can go with this. And this is I'm sharing it because of what Paul said struck me so deeply. So he says, you know, like you go in shopping sometimes, and one of the kids will not be ready. He said, so you got to take them back out to the car and talk to them until they're ready to come in. And he says, you know, or you can spank them. And he said, then you accomplished nothing, and then there hasn't anything been learned. And he says, the whole process takes more time. Mm-hmm. But God doesn't ask us to shortcut time. Yep. He asks us to invest in one another, in particular as children, to, to steward them. And this model that you're seeing is really a stewardship parenting model. At least that's what I'm witnessing, because there isn't a, a, an attempt to be have the child be the parent. The whole thing is geared towards having the children reach to God, which is profound to me. Yeah, and I think what you said kind of goes even to the core of, you know, this awesome thing that you're excited about doing next week, which is... Go ahead. um, Because we've gotten to this place where... And that's why I know that we've connected and why I connected with you Instant, instantly when we talked about this is we have got to the place that our own desires and what we want has come at the cost of the next generation. And what you just said, it, it speaks a lot in a lot of ways because it is. It's the commitment to lay your wants, your sac- um, needs, your time and money down for these amazing gifts that God has put you in your life to steward, not to rule over. They are his children. And I want to share what, even how I got to go on the trip, what sealed it for me when he asked me to lay down my business, that I've been working a long time to support them. And I said, but God, how am I going to support and feed these children? And I heard like a clearing of the throat from heaven. 
and said, excuse me, son, whose children are they? And I think that is a very important perspective to have because if you come from that perspective, it changes everything. It changes the way you parent. It changes your focus. It changes everything why you do what you do. And because they are not just gifts because of the love and joy and everything they bring us, they are gifts because we get a little peace and understanding of what real love means, which means we can get a little peek into how he loves us. And the simple point of going into the store in that scenario is, is it's consistency over time, and you have to be willing to take the time out and trust that these other things are going to be okay because you are operating in God's priority in his ecosystem and putting these children before yourself. And so it is hard. It's not easy. I think you got to piece into that with my three and four-year-olds today. They didn't sleep well. We have a new area. You know, you're adjusting. We have been traveling around the country, but the nice thing about when it is in a fifth wheel, which is the only way we could do it for a straight logistical standpoint, is it's crazy. i got to find like 24 shoes every time we leave the house. <laughs> and I can say that they might or may not be matching, okay? If they got shoes on, I'm happy, right? You're good. But um, it's true. So you got to be willing in those situations to come back out for, okay, I can't get everything I want. I have to go all the way back out to the car, sit my kid down in the car seat and wait for them to be done and then talk and say, is that how we ask? The other thing I would say is we become question ninjas. I want to make a shirt. Instead of speaking and lecturing, we actually ask them things. Hey, is this what we do in our family? Is this what we believe God has asked us to act and operate? We ask questions, and it's powerful. And I've said it before, and I want to, this is another important thing, is you have to be willing to apologize to your children. You just do. If I could say one thing that will open things up with your kids, if you sit them down and be vulnerable and honest with them and say, I'm sorry that I've missed it, and we've all missed it. Parenting, we've all missed it hundreds of times. But I've, done, I've seen more things open up and more heart healing happen from when I made mistakes and apologized for them than on the days when I felt like I got it all right. Because then they realize, oh, wait, my parents aren't perfect. Oh, wait, maybe I can talk to them because nothing's worth sacrificing the connection and relationship. Nothing. Relationship, just like with God, nothing's worth sacrificing the relationship with him, and nothing's worth sacrificing the relationship with your children. Of course, there has to be boundaries. Of course, there has to be structure, but it can't come above the actual connection and relationship with your children. That's really good. It's to the root, and like um, we talked about in the last hour, the enemy's really good at getting to the root. And I also mentioned in the last hour, which I mentioned before, but the time is now happening. We're doing this documentary that will begin filming next week, actually. I was going to film today, but we decided to wait till next week. And so the documentary is an interesting title, and it was given in as a prophetic word by, it was given to Michelle Svensson as a prophetic word. And she gave it on to me. And I missed initially when it was said. I didn't catch it. And she had already seen the vision of it, which is pretty profound. 
And so, as you know, the first film was called Bards of War. Fighting is everything. This is going to be Bards of War, the family, or family is everything. Come on. Which is really just like on point, right? So um, with that, where we are going with this film is this is a story about basically three different themes, but all coming together in one. It's three, three stories basically in one. One is the Cantrell family as a representation of the family that God intends, which does not put a stop or limitation on children. It's simply however many children you have, that's as God wants. The second part of that story is the network of information that's going to be brought in with that goes behind the war on the family. And the third part of the story, which is really the binding thread to the whole thing that brings it all through, is my decision and my walk to have my vasectomy reversed, to step in back into what God intended us to do. Man, you know, what's crazy about what you guys are doing and the girls and uh, why we just love uh, being part of this community is we believe we've had a sweatshirt that we've been wearing for years now. and we've, It says, healthy old families are going to save the world. And it's a deep statement. If you really think about it, it's a deep statement. And, uh, you know, we had an emphasis in our lives about, you know, with children and kids and them hearing God's voice and uh, activating them. And that's kind of was our role in, in seeing people and kids not get separated, not put in Sunday school or somewhere different, but actually come together and do it as a family unit, how God intended. But what I loved about your story and even the girls' story, um, they even took it deeper to where it started in this nation. Even from the fact that, you know, it blew my mind that not that long ago, any kind of, um, you know, birth control was, was illegal. Like it wasn't even allowed here. And, that, and, when, and then your angle and when they talked about it, where it all started, something even clicked to me. It filled in the spaces of like how we got here. I knew that um, we got here because the family was broken, but I didn't understand how, you know, just like everything in these days, how evil and strategically... Um, done over the over not even that long ago in this country and how efficient it was at truly doing it and uh i love this i think it is the only hope it was how this and you think you said it earlier with how they the families came off on the first grounds here at this nation it was families that did it it's our identity as this nation it's what made this nation what it was is because of the family and what they carried and the principles and the honor for each other and uh, love for each other and the model. And uh, so, of course, that is God's design originally from, from Eden. Family business was God's idea in the beginning. And I do believe it's the only thing that's going to save it. If you want to look at what's going to save it, you look at how it started it. And um, that's the answer, and it encompasses everything. It really does. If you really think about it, what a good, healthy family is and, and how it acts and how it um, affects the community around them, um, it truly is the answer to everything we're going through. 
why don't you start looking at this type of war, the silent war, which is really what it is. And you start to look at a family like the Cantrells, and then you start to look at what troubles we're having in a nation being a family. And holding our families together and even growing families. I don't know if people realize, but we're down to a birth rate of about 2.2, which for a nation to survive, you have to be above 2.7, and that's bare minimums. So we're, we're beginning the death spiral, by the way, of forever being gone. I just need to say that. I mean, you have to understand what we're saying here. When we talk about this war on the family and the war on the root and the seed, then what we're talking about is that within one generation, two on the outside, if there isn't a course correction made soon, then there will no longer be an America that we knew of. And this is why you're seeing the flooding in of the illegals. They know all this. And the, and we're literally giving our country to another group of people. We're walking away from an anointed land that was given to us by God, and we're handing it over because of our consumption with the sex of the physical and the relationships built on the bed rather than in the Bible. Go ahead and talk about that. Well, I've noticed how he, since we're using the same mic, he basically says, talk about sex and swung it to me, right? <laughs> <laughs> the birds and the bees. <laughs> the pitch. Um, well, I think the other thing with what you guys are talking about with the seed and why we were really created and why you're doing what you're doing is to get in alignment with what God's purpose and calling is on the man and why he created the woman and what family represents, right? And you actually shed some even more light on it. Like you're doing this to get right in alignment so that your yes in what you're doing becomes an echo um, in heaven and here, and it carries a weight that it didn't before because you had put yourself in a place that only God was supposed to be, and that is bringing life to this earth. You know, I go back to just watching birth, I'm going to say, I, I'm watching birth, not giving birth. Sort of to Christine's comment the oh, other day. Paul, Paul says <laughs> we're sitting together and we're actually on a uh, Zoom call. And Paul says, "Let me tell you about birthing children." And Christine's <laughs> looking right over at him. And you, this head, he said, you, I, "I'll try to recreate it the best I can." She just like spins her head left, looking right at Paul as he's getting all proud behind the mic, and she just says very quietly, "Oh, honey." So why don't you tell me all about birth? You can't make these moments up. It's just fantastic. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> uh, the part of the reason that uh, I've survived and I've uh, been able to come through, you know, I think 14,000 miles in a fifth wheel is because of the strong Italian woman that I married. But, yeah, I get the, I get the, uh, ev the whole package with a strong Italian woman from the Bronx. So that's a little bit of what you saw. But something happens in, in that process, you know, a, a few things. One is, kind of to his point, uh, first thing is, is I look up and I say, thank God you made me a man. That's the first. So to all the women out there, you're amazing. 
if it was us that was had to be ultimate choice as you guys did, we would have died out of, as a species a long time ago. Just want to say that. <laughs> Second is, um, there is a very spiritual thing that happens. And if you've noticed what we've done even around childbirth and culture, we have made it a very sterile, cold, um, disconnected environment. And that is another attack on the enemy to take away the connection that happens when a life, God breathes into life and they enter this world. And when you realize the spiritual significance of that, um, unfortunately, um, what comes before that, we have done a horrible job in the church and we have made it a strictly physical thing. We have. You know, even when you swung the mic to me, what I was thinking about is if you want people to see people squirm and probably not come back next Sunday to church, talk about sex or money, right? And I think that's very interesting, and you can see even where it started, and even on this doc that you guys are doing, when the girls go back to the root, you can see that the whole point was to take the spiritual side out of it. And when you realize why, even why you're doing what you're doing, you realize that between a man and a woman, that that act is a spiritual one, and it is about bringing life. And so no wonder that the enemy has come in so quickly and twisted that, because the minute that you stop looking at it from a spiritual level, you leave all kinds of open doors to be manipulated. And it's very interesting to me that in the church especially, we know when we speak this is a spiritual battle, we don't battle against flesh and blood, we, we know that the spiritual is a real reality, and the physical just follows and manifests that, except for in the bedroom, which is very interesting, because even in Scripture it says, the one act against the man's own spirit is the one of sexual immorality. So if that's what it says in Scripture, and we truly believe that everything, the real reality is the spiritual one, then why and how do we, and even in the body of Christ, turn a blind eye to this amazing act of creating life? And I believe when you do that, and to be vulnerable, um, we have prayed, we try to even, and we bring God into our bedroom. We bring God into our act. And that wasn't always the case. We had to do a lot of deliverance. We both came from broken backgrounds. We both came on, especially on, um, we, on the sexual side, we had been very broken. And we had to do a lot of things to heal and to be delivered from. But let me tell you that when you get proper alignment, and I know, you know, I've heard it said even the church, it keeps getting better, whatever, all the time. But what it is, is it keeps unifying you, your wife, and God in ways. And, and that is just an actual overflow of what you've allowed God to be a part of. 
Super powerful. Super powerful. We are living in a time where the most precious gift of children just is, I would just say it's just not understood and appreciated as God would want. And that makes it inordinately a big challenge to try to change the way things work. But that's also why it's so, so important to have the honesty and the voice and be willing to step out and be vulnerable, not just inside your home to God, but vulnerable in the world. Because that's when we start to gain the greatest access to him and the greatest anointings for him come. There's a real excitement I personally have, which is having the Cantrells now settle into being up here. And um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's something that I know that I watched. We, we've shed a lot of good tears. And you need to know that in just a beautiful way, the way God works. And it's going to be a real blessing to have them here because what that's going to be, and it's really interesting because, you know, we all did Halloween. I, can't, I, should, I don't even say that word, the 31st. And we reclaimed that night as freedom in life. And it struck me just how much life has been in this month. There's been deliverance. There's been people being set free. There's great things happening in people's lives. The Cantrells are part of this coming here, and it's about breathing new life into a, in a, into a space of ministry. And, and, and here's some of the things you can look forward to. And, and no, you won't have to hear me talk all night, but I'm going to talk a little bit here with Paul at my side. Um, once they get settled, and we've got our barn church that we're going to finish up. And Paul and I are going to start doing Sunday ministry out of that as soon as we get it up and rolling. And that's going to be a big deal. And that's, but I, and there's this, and so there's going to be that, and you're going to be able to, we're going to do some stories on the, the, the children and watching their growth as they learn about ranching and farming and taking care of horses, which by the way, folks, four horses coming to the property from Montana at the end of this month. I just talked to Rick today, so super excited about that too. So we got a lot of great things happening. But I'm going to ask you to tell a little story, if you don't mind. If it's not, if it's too personal, I'm just say no. Okay, you're not. They know me. But there was a pretty profound. We want to go back to what we didn't finish. There was a pretty profound statement which opened my eyes too, by your boys when they first met me, and they said, "Uncle Scott." So there's a lot of pieces to that, including getting rebuked and delivered and a few other things. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the cool thing about kids is when they're allowed to have a voice in a safe environment, um, in the home where you are bringing in the presence and you openly ask God to come in and be a part of it, um, the children can hear things and see things and feel things that we can't. Because here's the thing. They do not care anymore about the past, as we shouldn't, because it's covered in the blood anyway. And they are not stressed about the future, which ultimately we've taught them that God holds that in, their, in his hands, right? So... But even even any kids that don't even know that, they everything they do and everything everywhere they live and connect and speak are all in the moment. And the irony of that is that is the only power any of us 
have, which is to be receivers of what God wants to speak and share and love on us in the moment. But I don't know about you, you guys, I'm sure you can um, attest to some of that is how much of my life I wasted in two of those places I have no control over. So I say that to say that is an amazing thing about kids, and they can actually see things and hear things before we can. They don't have the baggage that they got to work through. They don't have the filters of what we think God was and hurts and all these things. And, uh, you know, he said, Uncle Scott, and if you guys were at Bard's Fest, you probably saw Silas actually stopped me when I'm first starting to speak and he's tugging on my shirt, tugging, I'm trying to talk and I'm a little nervous up there. And so I'm trying to speak and hear God and get in my, and I keep getting this tugging on my shirt. I'm like, finally, I even think I said it. I, if I watched it, I haven't got to watch it, but I think I'm a little agitated. I'm like, okay, fine. What is it? He's tugging on me. He, say, he whispers in me, he says, you didn't say uncle Scott. I was like, what? He's uncle Scott. And I'm like, I'm on stage trying to talk to all these people and you're correcting me on stage to tell me it's uncle scott like i'm like <laughs> what okay son okay yes uncle scott and then i got to move back in and so there was moments like that where there was this resounding resounding thing that kept coming up um where they kept saying no uncle scott and it was it was like weird i was like okay fine uncle scott okay i got it i got it and so I got it so much that I, I'm now, I think even when I was in here, I called you Uncle Scott because my kids have correct me so much. And so um, then we get here, and I think, were we here the first day? Was that the first night, I think? It was starting the phone about a week before we got here. Remember? Oh, yeah, it did start on the phone. Oh, that's true. You start on the phone. I think my son, I was in the, we were driving somewhere on the road, like, you know, like I always am it. Not for long, thank you. Thank God. It's such a blessing. Because <laughs> coming before I came up here, I thought I was on another uh, tour of the country. So this is such a blessing. Man. Anyway, he he said, pulled the phone for me and he said, told uh, Uncle Scott that, oh, my dad needs deliverance. We got to get him delivered. I'm like, and Scott's like, okay, okay, what is it? You remember what he said? Is that what he said? Yeah. Okay. He says... You won't believe this, Uncle Scott. He says, my dad has your name listed as Scott Kesterson, not Uncle Scott. We need to have a family meeting when we get there, and he needs deliverance. <laughs> I was like, what the heck was that? I was like, this, and he was just like, trust me, we'll deal with it when we get there. So we get here, and it's at night. It's in me, my uh two older boys and we're talking, have a good time just talking about things. And, um, Gabriel, like he gets, he gets a little tired and looks like he gets that little, little bit snarky and he's cute about it. And we, it's fun. Cause he likes to ride that little line as any, you know, 12 year old likes to do, especially when I give him a little leash and leeway, he was loving it. <laughs> so he, he pulls my phone from me. He's like, look at this. We got to get it. Can we talk now? Scott, we, we got to get my dad delivered. He's like, look at this atrocity. And he shows up my phone and look, it says Scott Kesterson. And, and so we go from there and he's like, you need, uh, what do you say from there? Do you remember? 
I forget. Yeah, one of the things that was really interesting, and it'll make sense here in a minute, but and we were laughing, but there's a, so much prophetic in this is what we were really getting at. Um, he says, you've made a family violation. Oh, that's what it was. This, this, yeah, this is a right. violation of the family. That's right. You that's didn't right. list right. this. And then he went on to do a prayer, which basically was like, God, forgive my father <laughs> for not understanding the importance of family and that he shall be delivered for this sin. I mean, we, he called it a sin because that was pretty powerful. And then he, he changes the whole phone. He goes in there and he like changes everything and he stops midway. He goes, all right, Uncle Scott. He goes, we got a choice here. Do we list this number as family? He's got it here as Bards FM. That doesn't make sense. So anyway, this is kind of, this, this is the whole discussion. It's happening there right in the kitchen. And the final act of this is he hands the phone back to his dad and then he says, nope, sorry, take, take it away because if you're going to be accountable, you have to fix this himself. And so he made Paul go back and to retype everything in the phone to, for accountability. I'm like, this child speaks my heart. This is wonderful. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he knew that being with Uncle Scott's the only way he could have got away with all that. But it, you know, he, my kids have been saying it and... I think this is what you wanted me to share, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. All right, you really... Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, got it, got it. I'm, I'm like Oprah. <laughs> like Oprah. <laughs> I'll bring tears to you. <laughs> uh, so many things I wanted to say, but I'm not going to say them. <laughs> my kids might be listening. <laughs> Anyway, um, so my kids have been saying this, and uh, they saw the connection. The other thing is they also continuing to ask about, uh, actually, Leah and Michelle. Where are they at? Because they have been called aunties, and they, they um, I guess they say that, and they actually understand even at a kid level um, sometimes more than us what that means what family means it's not like they're just saying they understand that when they say that um, what that means and what's expected and I think it has touched me so much and they saw something that um They saw something that uh, had in the spirit that God was doing. And, uh, you know, we, me and Scott have been talking, and, and uh, you know, we've gotten close over the year, and there's this, there's been this connection, and I came to this point, we, we uh, were talking, and I was like, hey, can we, we, we go hang out for a minute? So we were talking about that, and I came out, and I said, you know, I realized why my son had done that. I said, uh, uh, not only my son, but my wife had said, you know, came out and said that you had called her sister. And right away, before we had the talk, she said, I understood why that was, is because he's actually your brother. And so, you know, I, I only had uh, me and my sister growing up, I was left at home with her for a lot. It was rough times. We moved every year. I was always the new kid. It was the 90s. It was a rough time. And I remember always 
actually daydreaming at times so much like what it would like to have a brother. And when I've been out here and just this whole thing of family and what God can do, and I remember I was walking with Scott and I looked at him and he's like, I realize now when I looked down at my phone and he changed it, what that means to me, what it said when I saw it on the screen was Brother Scott. And my kids saw it and have been speaking it, I've been prophesying it the whole time, and I still couldn't see it. And so it was, it was emotional for me. It was uh, amazing. And honestly, it could have, what he offered and bringing my family here and the chance we have to be here, the only way that could have landed is if it was from a brother. Yeah, I love you. You're such a great man. I'm going to tell you very honestly, um, I mean this in all my heart. I have a brother, and we're estranged, and, you know, he's, I always like to see him back, but God doesn't work quite that way, especially right now, and, I, and I'm finding this because he's putting together spiritual families that are really the strength, and he gave me a word, and it was when I was in Yuba City at the Isaiah 61 conference, and he said, the times in which we're going, the families of blood will not endure, but the families of the spirit will overcome and rise. And it's a solid word. And it's one that we need to be paying attention to because he's bringing people together. So it's part of that because children refer to Michelle and Leah as anti-Michelle and anti-Leah. And it's important because this, I just want to express how this whole thing really came about from my perspective, because I wasn't looking at what Paul saw, and but when he said it, it locked. But Michelle called me and she said, Scott, I need you to be paying attention to something. We need to find a place where the Cantrells can settle down and where Christine can feel unstressed and that new child can come into this world blessed, not under the stress of knowing where they were going to be. And there's a lot of other dynamics that were going on around her that I was not aware of. Michelle opened my eyes and she said, I want you to pray on it and I want you to listen to me. I need you to pray on it. And I did. And um, I didn't know that any of the discussion that Paul and Christine were having and, there was, and that came out and we're not going to get into that, but there was a lot of testimony of stress. And um, so it, it was just like one of these moments that you step in and we, we were in the morning, we're having coffee together with the Kentrell army running around the house, which just so we're clear, that's, that's an experience. I'm just going to tell you the other experience is pretty amazing is to watch how fast food disappears. I've never seen it in my life. It's like the greatest magic trick ever makes David Copper, Copperfield look like a weakling. I'm telling you, but all that said, and as I stood there, there was, and this is where I go again, that when we are truly, truly leaning into God and we're listening to God and we're letting him fill us with what he wants. We don't have to have like these long sessions of prophetic and trying to get it. He just speaks into our heart. And as I stood there, it was no question. It was just, I just said, you guys need to stay here. And that's where you need to have the child. And then from there, as the spirit moves fast, God moves like lightning and speed of light in the spirit will cover 
months, even years in decisions in the spirit, the flesh takes time to catch up. And that's what we then went through is the processing, not for me, for them, the processing of this. And I'm just going to say that this property, which has a vision for it to become a place to raise up the saints for the work in the ministry, has been now so deeply blessed because we are now going to have the new, this first round of little saints for the work in the ministry that are the Cantrell's children. They're going to be part of building that foundation, literally being part of it, from building the gardens to being part of training the horses, to be part of tending to the cattle, to be part of building out the butchery. All of these things are going to have their hands on. And when you think about that, the children that are so anointed anyway in God are going to be anointing this land, which gives it a future unlike anything I could have ever imagined. That's God, by the way. That's God. God is present there. And that's the ripple effects of this is the, the way he speaks across the many to find the answer for the few or the one. Remember, it's the one, not the 99, right? And this is the case. And I, I'm just going to say, I mean, God has a very special purpose. And I know that from words he's given me. He has a very special purpose for the Cantrells. And part of this is getting back to the point where we have a grid to understand where we're going. So, Paul, I want you to speak to that because that's been your word about the grid. Yeah, when we went on the this first round and when we speak about family, what I realized is the enemy is very cunning and is playing the long game. And when you take away, first off, if they can't be born, if they happen to make it past birth control, they are um, ended in abortion, right? And now there's nothing more. If they do make it past that, then um, they're into uh, abusive situations because of just the saturation of, of just evil through the digital world and pornography. And we could sit here and talk so much about that. And if they get by that somehow, halfway intact, um, they get to the public school system and I believe this whole LG I don't know all the initials please forgive me the initials I want to use I can't say on this again because <laughs> my kids are probably listening but um you know Eve I heard it I think it was by the lives of TikTok or something and she's not the uh, starter of that I don't even believe she's a believer uh, um, but she said something that, that that made it all clear. This was a few years ago. She said, you know, I don't believe in a God per se, but she says there is something past the physical, some spiritual thing that's going on here because it's like a cult. Want these kids go home and say what they're, that they want to be recognized as something different. It instantly just puts catastrophic havoc on the family. And it is almost impossible to get them back. And why is this? Because on everything, even in says in the world, he's the, uh, in the word, he's the cornerstone. He is the um, plumb line for everything we're called to build. 
And if you can get rid of the cornerstone and the plumb line, then nothing can be built correctly that's going to last. It is not going to get through the test of times. It's not going to get through the problems. If you, I've built houses for a while in my past in my life. And if you don't get that first foundation perfectly plumb, it doesn't matter how good everything else goes together above it. It will always fall. It will always have problems. And so I believe that that is the point. If you can take away not only God in, in the Word and what that means with the relationship with Him, but if you can take away the cornerstone of healthy family so that not only does it um, is important, but if you can wipe it off the face of the map, that it can't be found, then there is no plumb line, there is no cornerstone to build off of. And that's, that's why it's so amazing what you're doing and what gets me fired up because this is the strategy of the enemy. If they can take away any remnants of a healthy family, which is the whole point, it's the whole point, everything comes back to that, then we cannot build anything. And if anything is built, it will fall every time. This nails it right there. And that's just it. I mean, you've heard me talk about it on the previous show. I've talked about it in, in previous shows too. That the real war has always been against the family. It hasn't been nation states. That's just garbage. That's all the distraction to shed blood for sacrifice. The real war has been against the root of a strong nation, which is the family. And that's something that we have to start stepping into and really being very profound about it. Because without it, without resetting our families, there isn't a future. Not like you know it. You can win every battle, and without the family unit back in place, in the end, it's a it's a sum zero game. Meaning we don't lose, we don't win anything. We actually we lose. So it's important to start getting that understood to how important this is. So it was it's been an eye opener for me. I will tell you when I started to realize that and just what it all entails. So as we kind of wrap this up, I want to just tell a short story, and we're going to put it to Paul for a couple of things, but. Um, I didn't anticipate, um, let me back up. When I made the appointment, which is called Dad's Again, by the way, to have this reversal surgery done next week, and, it, and it's important to understand something here, that we're into new territory here because this, and this is another reason why this is such a beautiful strategy of the enemy because nobody wants to talk about these topics openly. Man, if you're in a Baptist church, you never you don't ever open your mouth about something like this. Matter of fact, you don't wear a, bu- bucket, a button down and a pair of khaki slacks, you're not going to heaven, you're going to hell. I mean, it's that that's the way our doctrinal churches have become, unfortunately. And so you, you don't talk about these topics, and I know that it can make people uncomfortable, especially when we talk about what's going on in the bedroom and these sorts of things. But we have to start understanding this, and the only way we're going to do it is to start being bold and going places where people are uncomfortable. So I say all that because you know, this discussion that I'm having is going to get very transparent about the aspects of this surgery, the aspects of what's required after the surgery, the sorts of things that are going to go on and what the cost of having a vasectomy was and what that cost of returning to God is going to be because you're going to have to lay it all down. And if we want to win this, you got to lay it all down. And I mean like everything. That means you got to put... Everything that you value, and, and let me tell you, I, you know me, and you know me well. I will not say those words unless I have done it. And this last week, I have laid down everything in my life. 
and the it's the burning of the dross from the silver. It's the refinement. And let me tell you, it has hurt. It has been painful. Paul's been witness to it. And it has been, it has left me sobbing at times. But that's when God's working boldly inside of you and he's moving you and he's aligning you and he's cleaning and he's he's burning out everything that's not him. And you want to get to that place where you're truly like, that is all you are, is what he is in your heart. And I will guarantee you, you can dig into God and tell me everything you think and you dig into God and you tell me anywhere in there where he says, I want you to be a society where sex and pleasure and no pre-production is part of your future because it doesn't say it, it doesn't live it, and it doesn't part of his, it is not part of his design. So as I set up this surgery, and originally the Cantrells were just, they were going to be in, in Arizona and then they were going to go on down to Texas. And Paul calls me and he says, brother, if you're going to lay this down, then the Cantrells are going to stay in Tucson to stand by you as you do. And I broke into tears. This is who they are. This is who the Cantrells are. Because what he saw was somebody that was willing to do this. Because what this action, and I'm just expressing what Paul has told me, and is that that action represented what they stood for as a family. Never get in the way of God. And so this is who you hear is the heart of who Paul Cantrell is, as he leads his family and he looks across to somebody that we've only gotten closer and he says, if you're doing this, I'm keeping my family here. Now here's the best part of that whole story for me. The Cantrells are there and will be with me. My family, my brother right there and I, and will be right with me the entire time. Don't expect any inside the surgery room photography because it ain't happening. I'm just telling you that right now. Anyway. Praise God, Oprah. <laughs> right. But, but, when I come back, then I fly back on the 30th. And the best part of that next part of that story and how God has worked this whole thing, I come back here to the ranch and there's going to be births of 16 new baby calves and the Cantrell family will be back here in time to experience many of them as we anoint this land of a land of life and a land of rebirth. You know what's so powerful about this root of family is everybody that hears the sound of my voice can do something about it. We can all surrender whatever we're going through, wherever we've missed it. The hurts and pains, the unforgiveness for our fathers or mothers, whatever God. I, I just, my hope for you guys is that you will take what we're saying and you will activate it in your own life. And the powerful thing is everybody can do something about it. And not only can everybody do something about it, but it will have the greatest effect first. Nothing bigger in your own life than when you surrender and ask God to come in and truly trust him with your own family. And then that goes out farther, right? Which is why the same model, why our, even our Constitution was designed, was around this concept that it starts with us first. So 
I challenge you guys. Because I guarantee you, as we continue to talk about family and we continue to move forward, two things are going to happen, and I always do. Either you feel the weight of your own guilt and shame of either what's happened in the past with your own family and the brokenness there, or of the way you've missed it as a mother and a father. But the Bible is a redemption story. This country is a redemption story. And your family is a redemption story the minute you lay it down and let the one who made you and knows the end from the beginning, the Alpha and Omega, you lay it down at his feet and you say, Lord, I don't know how to fix it, but I lay it down and ask you and trust you and know that you do. When you think about what Paul has done with his family, and we talk about laying it down, and I, I want to kind of close with this theme because it's been a theme that we've talked about. It's a theme that I've embraced, but I've embraced deeper than I've ever thought possible. That's been inspired by people close to me to go farther, to go deeper, to go higher. And this is what I'm challenging everybody here tonight. Go farther, go deeper, go higher into him. Laying it down is going right where you don't think it's possible. It's putting it out there as far as you can go and say, I'm letting it go to you. And literally just turning it over to Father and let him do what he does. We had to do that in Bards Fest 1. I had to lay it all down. And I learned a lesson. It's I was literally not even knowing how I, how this thing would, I was having flashbacks from past times when you got so bound up with contracts and money, it just becomes a nightmare. And if you remember in Bars Fest 1, we'd been deplatformed de by Media Matters ultimately. Oh yeah, that's right. Elon Musk is suing them. Congratulations, Elon. Thank you. I hate David Barack. He's a pedophile. Anyway, <laughs> I hope you heard that, David Barack. You are a pedophile and we're coming. Don't worry, God's got a millstone for you. You're going right to the lake of fire. And I'm going to help you. So anyway, that said, we literally, had, we were deplatformed and lost all of our funding. And I was, I was, this was, Bars Fest 1, it was very expensive. I need you to understand that. And, but I really didn't know how it was going to happen. And I was looking at about a quarter million dollars in liability on myself. And there was, I didn't have that. And that's when God says, like, with your point, he's like, <laughs> I'll never forget this conversation. Make it free. <laughs> I said, I literally, he says this and I'm driving him. I go, what? Like, are you nuts? I'm, this was my exact conversation. And God says, make it free. And I'm like, okay, well, we can't charge for a revival. That's not even possible. We can't charge for it. And that's when we made it free by donation if you wanted to. Patriots, every single bill was covered in 10 days. And even when I got to the point and we were looking at one big big bill, it was for the it was for the Ferris wheel. And I'm like, oh, did I overdo it? And I look at my account and there's the money. I still can't do the math on this thing. This is God's math, okay? Paul Cantrell takes his business that he's built up over years to have a nice, 
foundation for his family. And God says, lay it all down. And Paul lays it all down. He walks away from his business and says, Lord, I don't know how we're going to pay for this. I don't know how we're going to feed my family. But I trust in you. When Bars Fest, this last, last time in Flemingsburg, we were supposed to be in Fredonia. And that got nixed. Two, two and a half months of planning gets canceled at the last minute because the community is uncomfortable with some aspects of who we are as a, as a group. I'm like, all right. So I just held on to it, and I didn't say much because I'm thinking, well, God's going to deliver. Finally, I threw it all down the way I had to. I said, Lord, I trust you. But unless there's something by Friday, I have to cancel because I can't let people commit money. 24 hours later, we had Flemingsburg. Okay. This is about laying it all down, hard, lay it all down. And that's when we get close to him. So with that, any final comments there, Pastor Kendra? Well, the next part of it, and I think you should do that book, is after you do, what's great is you can actually hear, and then it's as simple as yes, right? Yeah. And so um, I just want to pray for families. I just want to pray that whatever brought up something, I just feel strongly that we've been talking about this tonight. There's actually very specific, God is doing very specific things in your guys' lives that he wants you freed from. Maybe it's you need to forgive your dad for never being there or being abusive. Maybe it's never having a dad. And you feel abandoned or uh, abuse, even sexual abuse as a kid. Maybe it's, Lord, uh, you know that you, you, you haven't been connecting with your children. And you know that you, they need you. There are so many instances, but I want you to take whatever was brought up in your heart tonight, and I want you to put it down on the altar and say, God, I trust you. I don't know how it's going to get fixed. I don't know how I can forgive them. I don't know how any of that, and, and it's not our job to, but it is our job to put it down and say, Lord, I trust you with it. And then in the midst of that, whatever small action he's asking you to take, just say yes, and no matter how hard it is, just take it because I guarantee you the only way for us to walk to freedom as a family, as a community, as a nation, is to truly put it down and do what he says. That's it. That's it. Walking in the yes. Which is actually, he's right, there's a book I'm working on now. That is the first book, finally. Walking in the yes. You know, um... Last seven weeks or so, just about to, since Barge Fest, God has transformed me. I know in my heart who I am now and what he's moved me to be. And that heart has allowed me to align in ways. And there's some very special people in my life, you know who you are, that have made that possible. 
And I am grateful because God works through each other where two or three are gathered. And the love that I have for these people cannot be measured. And that is how God works. I've been given one of the greatest lessons in love the last couple of weeks that has pushed me beyond anything I ever thought possible. I have shed tears. In fact, it brings me to tears. Because at the end of the day, it's getting into the common language of the universe, which is love. But it's the level of love that is so far beyond the flesh. And this is the problem that we have is when we keep trying to anchor ourselves in the flesh. We define love. This was paraphrasing what somebody shared, one of these very, very special people's in my life shared with me tonight. We define love by the physical elements like we're going to transmit that to somebody. The hug, the kiss. Love is, at God's level, is so far beyond that. Because at his level, the love is of a, of a way of being and walking that is literally not of this world. And, and I lack... And I think in general, we lack a vocabulary to deal with this. I think that if we want to talk about pure love, we look at children because it's an effervescent type of love that always bubbles up and no matter what, they're giving. But from as we mature in love, it goes to yet another level altogether. And it's a place where we start, and I think here's the kind of the key part of it. We start to see past the flesh and we start to see the heart. And as we begin to see the heart, we begin to have the compassion for what Jesus had with so many people. Jesus sat with tax collectors and prostitutes. And, and it's like this one of these little bylines that you'll hear in every church and they never talk about it. It's like, well, God can't, can't look at that one because he's sitting with sinners. He's sitting with more than sinners. He's sitting with the people that knew that at the end of the day, because of all they'd been through, they truly had the heart for God to pursue him. So be that. Because when Jesus is sitting with, with the tax collector and the prostitute, they have no choice but to lay it all down. They are who they are. They don't have the ability to hide. <clears throat> so don't be one of those that hides. Lay it down on the altar, whatever it is. Forgive. And, I, and I'm going to be just to give public testimony as we start here, as we finish here, I'm sorry. Because God put it on my heart it's with what you just said, and I'm going to speak it. You know, from my testimony about five weeks ago, I talked about what became a disastrous situation in just a very bad one-time moment in my family where as a result of a pedophile, and he was, leaving pornography at the bus stop, being exposed to it as a young man, the corruption that that led me to in what ultimately destroyed the relationship between the bro my brother and I. And it wrecked havoc in our family because it opened the door to some of the worst spiritual things you could ever bring into the world. And as I'm sitting here listening to Paul and we're talking about laying it all down, then I have to lay it all down. Father God, for all the sins that that man represented, for all the damage that he caused for my family and for myself, I forgive him. I forgive him.
and I forgive in my heart and hope that he can find the love to restore himself to the love of you and the love of kingdom. Lay it all down. Lay it all down. Patriots us to a prayer. Father God, I just want to thank you tonight for a very blessed meeting and the opportunity to sit with my brother as we talk about one of the, if not the most important thing ever. It's the family. It's the root. So Father, we just pray that these prayers will continue to lift up and will begin to see a change and a spark in the revival of what the family truly is. Let us not be afraid. Let us lay it all down, Father. And understand that every action we take to, to take those burdens off of our heart, to lay those things down, to be honest before you, to not think and say things like he knows my heart. Let us be that person that says, Father, I will show you my heart so that we can let you in and then be ready to ride that wild ride of refinement, the dross and the silver, so that all that is impure is burned away. And with that, we become and become transformed more closely to him, elevate up our understanding of love and become truly not of this world, walking in the anointment of Jesus, understanding that we've been told we can do all that he does and greater works. So let us pursue that with every bit of passion, every bit of courage, and every bit of humility that we can muster. So Father, thank you. And for those people in my life, who I left by name unspoken, who know who they are. Thank you for their love. And thank you for the love I can give back. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Paul, any last thoughts? Family's everything. And tonight before you guys say your prayers think of the ones directly you love and lift them up and be reminded of what you have and thank them for it Amen Patriots, thanks it's been an awesome evening it really has, it's been a blessing it's trying to get our shows back on schedule we've overcome the threat and the attack that's been on these platforms which I'm blessed, and thank you, amen, thank you, Lord. We start to get our lives back regular like they are, so look for them. I won't tell you it has been easy. It has not been easy, and it has not been an easy ride, but nothing in this world that's good is ever easy. And I think in the process there's been a bit of a threshing, which is a good thing, but it's equally been inspiring to see how many new screen names and people that are back in this chat, so welcome to Bars Nation. If you're new here, if you're just new to chat, glad you're here. This is a family. And that's something to be recognized. And Paul said it, and he said, this family that's been being built, that's what Bars Nation is, is a family. And iron sharpens iron. And that's the whole principle of everything that we've been talking about tonight. So, patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. 
Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest dead. Oh, I want to feel something. Let me get back in my body.
Just a few.